as Brother Edmund said, an overflow of cake and coffee, and I'm overflowing with cake and coffee. A special thank you to this church for the welcome that you've given the choristers, the delicious food and the abundance thereof. Thank you for all your efforts, your hospitality. Um, you've been very good to us, and we thank you. Before we look into the Lord's Word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Indeed, Father, it is a privilege to come before you, knowing that you are a sovereign, almighty, omnipotent God, and we are puny little people. And we're mistake-prone, completely unworthy of being in your presence, yet you loved us enough to send Jesus that it should amaze every one of us till our death and even beyond. Father, as we look into your word together, the scripture you have left for us to teach us more about ourselves and about you, it is not by accident that we are here this afternoon. So soften our hearts and tear down the walls that we may have established and speak to us. Challenge us, correct us, and may you be blessed by our response. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord led me to Numbers 13. I would encourage you to turn there with me, please. Numbers 13. And I was told that I should keep it to like two and a half to three hours. So we'll try to do that. No, I'm kidding. I didn't even ask. <clears throat> Numbers 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shammua, the son of Zakur, of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Of the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. Of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshia, the son of Nun. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. Of the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. Of the tribe of Joseph, namely of the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. Of the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. Of the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael. Of the tribe of Naphtali, Nahbi, the son of Bopshi. Of the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Maki. Forgive me for mispronouncing some of those names. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land of what it is. And the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was of the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up 
and search the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came into Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eshcol, and cut down from there thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs, the place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them, shewed them the fruit of the land. And they told, them, told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, sons of Anak, which come the, of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Pausing at the end of chapter 13. There are three points that the Lord led me to consider for today as he prepared me. And one is at the beginning where the Lord gives some instruction to Moses and says, send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Scanning down then to verse 17. Moses then gives the spies, we know them as, the direction to go into this land. And if you, if you compare the two messages, what the Lord said to Moses was a couple of sentences. What Moses told the men that were supposed to go spy out the land were paragraphs. It is possible that the Lord gave more instruction to Moses than we have recorded. However, I would suggest that Moses added to the message of the Lord. Take a look at, at, at some of the things that he instructed the spies. He told them, go into the land and see what the land is like. If it is rich, if it is not. Take a look at the people that are in the land. Are they strong or are they weak? Take a look at the cities. Are they intense or do they have walls about them? The instruction that Moses gave the people, the spies, as they went out may have clouded their judgment and their perspective. And I pose that to you because there's a very important 
um, principle in dealing with God's message. When God speaks, it is inappropriate for man to add to or subtract from. Take a look back at what the Lord told Moses. Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. He very clearly says, this is a gift I am giving to them. He says nothing about how they're going to have to fight, do battle, conquer. This is a gift that I am giving to them. Moses, perhaps, added to that because he wanted more information. Okay, men, here's your assignment. Go into the land, search out the land and see what it's like. But in so doing, he may have begun the process of this, the uh, 11 then 10 spies giving a counter report contrary to what the Lord wanted them to accomplish. This is a beautiful passage, and I love this. It's so exciting. There's so many things about which we can spend time and consider. And I, By the Lord's help, we will not get off on those tangents, so there are many, many good lessons in here. But this one really struck me. The message of God must be valued by you and me. That you and I are privileged, privileged enough to be able to carry the message of God from the pulpit with one another in a, in a living room, uh, with a co-worker, with a fellow student, across the neighborhood fence, the backyard fence, wherever the Lord may allow us to carry his message, we must be true to that message. Not adding and not subtracting. It, it's, it's common today, and I teach at Legacy Bible Institute in Worcester, and, and I have students coming through all the time. Some in this room have been students of mine. And as, as the students come in, it is fascinating to see how they struggle with Scripture. And it's representative of most of us. How they struggle with the passage they don't understand. What is the first thing they will do? Instead of continuing to wrestle with it, they'll look at commentaries. Maybe their study Bible or some other thing. They'll run to that to see what someone else interpreted that passage as. And that's a danger. Because they're just men too. And they may be wrong. And I have found that if you go to these commentaries a little too quickly, they will skew your thinking into only seeing passages in that one way. And if God is trying to speak to you about a different way, what if they're wrong? If God is trying to speak to you in a different way about that passage and what he's trying to communicate, your mind needs to then be readjusted and it's not so simple to do. I've had ministers, I've had this um, warning, I've shared this warning before, and I've, I've had ministers come up to me afterward and say, I do run to commentaries too quickly. Ministers. People to whom the Lord is speaking from the pulpit to a congregation. He gives them his message and instead of grasping and wrestling with it ourselves, we run to see what somebody else thinks. And that is what we communicate to the congregation. But that's also true in our own personal time with the Lord. When God speaks to us through his word in our personal devotional time, or with, when in a discussion with an individual, 
if something doesn't quite make sense, we run and get someone else's opinion, a professional or a scholar or, or something else. Sometimes they're brilliant, and that's fine. But I encourage you, wrestle with it with the Lord. Father, I don't understand. Or I don't think I fully grasp what you're trying to teach me. And spend time with him, talking with him about it. Don't be so quick to run off to and use these other commentators, their perspective. They might be right. They might be wrong. Let the Spirit speak to you. Look at the danger that this caused because one, one of these spies came back and gave a report contrary to the instruction of the others. This Caleb chap steps up and says, wait a second, what they're reporting is not true. God can handle this. He will be faithful and he can give us this land. But the others, they were scared silly. And they communicated that to the congregation and they all bought into it. They're right. We can't do this. Because that's true too. They couldn't. But God certainly could. Look at that damage. Because these men came back and with their, their vision, their human vision, what they saw and experienced, they communicated to these people and scared the whole uh, congregation of people, millions. They were too afraid to proceed into the land. Caleb steps up with boldness and says, forget what I saw, I see God. And God can handle this. Forget what these guys are saying. They may have seen things too, but forget that. God can handle this. And if it's his pleasure, he'll take us right in there. We don't need to be concerned about this. At some point here, Joshua's not mentioned as a, a dissenter from the 11 at first. But then he joins in, he says, you know, I, I imagine him saying, Caleb is right. Yes, it is. God can handle this. I've seen what God has done in the past. God can handle this. And so he joins in with Caleb and and together they're trying to convince the people, no, these other spies are wrong. These ten are wrong. What they have seen, but see, the, the seed has already been planted. And it's hard to undo. The purity of God's message is so valuable. And you and I must count it a privilege when, when he entrusts that message to us. Whether it's from the pulpit or the message of the gospel or an opportunity that he places before us to share something verbally. That is a privilege to be a spokesman for Jehovah as a mere man. We must never shrink back from that, but always hold it dear and precious. Because if we allow it to be corrupted, it could cause so much damage. The second lesson that, that the Lord laid on my heart is that of Caleb and Joshua. So if, if Moses had sent them off and he debriefed them when they came back and then he communicated, communicated to the people, um, it, it could have turned out one way. But instead, Caleb and, and eventually Joshua stepped in. And, and I, I will phrase this as leadership from the pews. We see in our churches leadership. They're very visible most of the time. They're the elders, the ministers, Bible class teachers, the, the leadership. And that's valuable and important. But leadership from the pews is essential also. 
Among the, the normal, if you quote unquote, people, we need people who, men and women, who will stand up and say, discerningly, by the Spirit, this is right. We must go in this direction. This is wrong. We must guard ourselves and be, be cautious here. We, we need people from the pews who will be so sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction about what they know about the heart of God that they will make a stand in support of the direction the Lord wants us to go. If, if, if Brother Doug, as the elder of this church, stepped up and said, this is what I think we should do, many will follow him. But he, we need people from the pews to step up and say, to be leaders from the pews also. To say, gather around me because we need to be in support of this idea. This is from the Lord. Or we need to talk with our brother because this is not from the Lord or, or I'm not sure yet. We need to hold back and be cautious. But we need leadership not just up front, but in the pews. And that is an important thing. See, with Caleb, and I love this about this man, he may not have been a Jew. There, there's speculation that, that perhaps he, was, uh, he became of his dad, Jephunneh, I think was not really a, a, a typical Jewish name. So he may have been uh, a non-Jew who joined the people and obviously rose to some prominence within the the, the tribe, um, but he passed, he communicated things based on what he knew of God, not just of what he experienced, not just on what he saw, and not even from the influence of others, but on what he knew of God, his capabilities, and his heart. He valued Jehovah, he respected the history of Jehovah, and what he has accomplished so much that he was willing to stand up against these other 10 or 11 who were voicing their opinions strongly, saying, we can't do this. And he said, wait a second, we can because of God. Notably absent during this discussion is Moses. I find that fascinating. As the spies come back and they start to interact with the people and give their reports, we see uh, in verse 17, 20, no, verse 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. That's the only reference we have of Moses right here in this, this section of discussion. Well, why isn't he taking a leadership role? I wonder if he is feeling a little bit guilty because he knows that he participated in some of this trouble. I don't know, again, speculation, but I wonder. And now he's, he's wondering, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do? Because this is not going the way that God said, wow, did I blow this? As a leader, uh, this happens. Sometimes we make mistakes, and, and then we've got to figure out, how do I get past this? I blew it. And maybe not. Granted, it's not in text, so I, I don't want to push that too hard but if that's the case he is either way he's not voicing we don't have record of him voicing saying hey Caleb's right God can handle this we don't hear that we don't have record of that and Moses was one that authored this we believe so he probably would have penned something down he was very thorough elsewhere he did not include that so Moses and Aaron his brother the high priest 
I would think that they would have stepped up at this point and said, you guys are nuts. You spies, are, you're bringing a really bad report. You're speaking against Jehovah. Good warning. It's not there. Instead, we have silence. We have Caleb stepping up out of the blue saying, no, we can handle this. God can handle this. No problem. Sometimes even when leadership make mistakes, those in the pews, the leaders from the pews need to step forward and guide us back to God. Please. We count on you. We, in leadership, need each one of you who claim Christ as Savior and Lord to keep your, your walk healthy and fresh and eyes fixed on God just in case we do make a mistake. If we blunder on something, we need you to help us correct lest there be even more damage. I thank the Lord for Caleb and all the Caleb's among us. We need one another. Not just to agree. We're not looking for yes men. I hope that's, that's clear. Disagreement is good too especially if it's spirit-led, or to help us reframe a perspective or something. That's extremely important. We need people around us who are so sensitive to the Spirit, so entrenched in God's heart, that they know what God wants. They know specifically, so they can help clarify the direction or the correction that needs to be made. We rely on you very much. Not just to agree, but to offer perspective. Different considerations that maybe we didn't consider. And sometimes even a challenge for correction in our own lives. Leadership from the pews. So the, the message of, of God and the leadership from the pews. Jump with me, if, if you still have your Bibles open to Numbers 14, because this is the third thing the Lord laid on my heart. After this incident, I'm going to pick a couple of verses after, out of chapter 14 to build the third point. From chapter 14, and the whole chapter is, is uh, the Lord and, and Moses then hashing this out in response to how the nation of Israel has responded to the report of these spies. Um, Picking up in, um, in, in verse 19 of chapter 14, um, Moses is finishing. He says, Pardon, I beseech thee the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even to, until now. So here's the Lord's response. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as I truly live... As truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and into the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. One of those aside lessons, it's interesting that Caleb alone is mentioned here. Later on, the Lord will mention um, uh, Joshua also. But 
Caleb was the first to stand up, and then Joshua came alongside of him. And so the Lord honors Caleb by name first, and then he honors Joshua after that. But that's one of those asides. I don't want to get into that. It's interesting, though. Okay, and then turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. And this is the third point. They were not, because of their disobedience, because they did not believe, and the Lord proved to them over and over and over again, not just coming out of Egypt, not just the, the initial wandering, but the many things that they had seen God do through this time as the Lord is reintroducing himself to these people, making himself known and proving himself over and over and over again, and they didn't believe him. He said, I'm going to give you this land, and they said, we can't do this. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3. Picking up at verse 7, the whole chapter is amazing, but it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, said God. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren. And this is where the author of Hebrews brings it to a, a very personal challenge. Take heed, brethren. Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our Confidence, steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. This is such a beautiful passage in Hebrews. As, as the, the author is, is trying to get the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, to understand their history and what God was really saying through that. He, the Lord brought them into the wilderness and told them, I'm going to give you this land, this promised land. This is where I am bringing you from and where I'm taking you to, and I will give it to you. But these people, this generation blew it. When they fell so easily for the bad reports, and, and so quickly threw up their hands and said, we can't do this, we're defeated already. Because we don't trust Jehovah. We forget about him. We don't, we don't see him. We saw the Amalekites, the giants, and we were like grasshoppers before them. But they did not believe the Lord. Which is just amazing. Many today, young people and, and even old people, are looking for signs from God. Prove yourself and I'll believe to them, he did over and over and over and over. There was so much evidence. We only have a portion of the documentation of all the amazing things that God was doing. 
and they did not believe. This, this challenge came up, and it was only a word of a challenge, and God said, I'm going to give it to you, and not that it was going to be a difficult battle or anything. I'm going to give it to you. And in fear, they backed away because they did not believe. Let us therefore fear lest, a, and that's fear God, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Brothers and sisters, what do you believe? As soon as a life situation comes up, as soon as a challenge comes up in your life and you, you don't know how to deal with it, is your first response unbelief? Framed as anxiety or fear or, or something else? Or is it the confidence that you have in God? Your, your immediate thought is, thank the Lord. What a blessing this is to have this diagnosis of cancer. How exciting this is to hear that my loved one is going to be passing away so quickly. That sounds foreign. But what level of belief do you have? Is it possible that the Lord will say the same of us? You cannot enter into my rest because of your lack of belief. The world should see something different in you and I. We claim to be children of the King, to serve a living God. This is our claim, this is our life, this is the label that we put on ourselves as Christians. And do they see us just like the rest of the world? When these life situations come along, do they see us face them with confidence and a smile? Not faking it, but sincerely. Because of the confidence that we have in Jehovah who has proved himself to us over and over and over again. This rest that the Lord has promised you and I is after this life. We get a taste of it also in this life. But that day is coming. And I wonder to what extent we know how important faith was to Jesus when he was walking on the earth. He taught over and over again, your, your faith has healed you. I, I'm amazed by your faith. Over and over again, he, we know how important faith is. But do we really believe? Really? How is that proved out in our lives? Is God pleased with us? as he evaluates us. I'm not asking to look at your neighbor. Look at yourself. You know where you stand before the Lord. Are you a fragile Christian just barely hanging on and living in fear most of your life? Or do you have such an abundance of faith? My God is so strong. My God is sovereign. My God is perfect. He never makes mistakes. I do not even have to worry. I don't even have to think about that. God has it under control. That's the kind of faith that he wants, he expects from his children, from you and from me. And that ushers us into this rest in this life and in the life to come. And what a wonderful thing that is. Commonly, when someone converts, we talk to them about, do you have peace? 
Are you at peace with God? This rest is that peace. It is the shalom of God, of Jehovah, that this world can't even comprehend. They can't grasp that. They don't understand. But there's a day coming beyond today. And I, I think that's even why God established the Sabbath, the seventh day, to, to get us to think about the eternal peace that is coming, the eternal day of rest. He wants us to remember this. He wants us to ponder that. He wants us to look forward to it and be excited about it. Because our time on earth is so brief. Yet, we make it so important amassing fortunes, collecting stuff, investing in this life when nothing in this life will last. The only thing of value in this life is the next life. There's nothing in this life, in this brief time we have on earth, that is worth our time and investment except that which feeds and brings us to, or anyone around us, to the next life. Let us take a lesson from these dear men and women wandering in the wilderness, facing trials and difficulties and challenges. As the Lord speaks to us today of this time in history and how they responded, I don't know that I would have responded any differently, frankly. But today is different. And I, I can make a change today and the Lord gives me that grace so that today... I can correct my course, and Lord, I can have confidence in you. You have been so faithful, so good, and you have proven yourself. All I have to do is open my eyes, God, and I have seen how good you have been. You're the God I serve. You're the God who saved me. May he bless his words. What a day. It has been. Truly our cup is overflowing and I'm, I'm not talking about the coffee, I'm talking about the blessings that we have received from on high. The blessings of, of having worship being poured out here, the, the beauty of the words, the beauty of the music. It was interesting for me because I was, I was sitting next to a friend of mine from work who first time in a church and trying to hear those words from his point of view you know does this make sense how what does he think how does he understand what's being said here <clears throat> as we sing song after song lord i lift your name on high you know from the you know does he understand that you know who jesus is who came from heaven to earth to show the way and from the earth to the cross, my sins to pay. Does he understand the joy of being bound for the kingdom? Maybe he can relate to wandering aimlessly and looking from the water from the rock. Does he know that Jesus is the rock that satisfies and that he sins, bore our sins? And, that, and, and I love what, that they slow down for that, that verse about, you know, are you looking for something more? Leave your past behind climb God's hill and does he understand climbing God's hill what is it talking about you know 
the hill where Jesus died, that we have to die to, that's what the, was preached about in Philippians 3, how it's through identifying with the death we get to the resurrection. But we sang, we sang about, it was sung, I didn't sing, probably that was a good thing, or I know that's a good thing. You know, incredible harmony that, that brought out not only the, the, the gratitude for salvation, but the, the, the joy of anticipation. And as it was kind of the last song and the last scripture there about even so come Lord Jesus, we know it's coming soon. Last song last night, you know, about being courageous, about don't bend, don't break. And now we've been challenged. We've been challenged as we look at the 12 men who were sent out. And, you know, did, did Moses look for, okay, how is this going to happen? Okay, God says it's going to happen, but, like, let's see, you know, relative strengths in positions and of, you know, is it is a fortified wall? And he's, he strategizes. He's, it's, he's at the tactics level and not at the God who can level. And, and thinking about these, have you ever been in that position do you ever been in that position where you got to choose? Are you going to focus on the size of your problems or the size of your God? Have you ever been in that position where you feel overwhelmed because you're looking? We are grasshoppers in their sight. Or are we saying, my problems are grasshoppers in his sight. What are we comparing to? Where does our courage derive from? Is it like we can handle this or God can handle this? And then you've got these two men saying we can trust God and being drowned out. Can we, can we point to God even when our fellow brothers and sisters are perhaps doubting, perhaps frozen, uh, focused on the problem and not on God. Can we point to God? In, we've been challenged. We have a choice. It's a choice whether we're going to choose courage and faith in the living God, a God who can uh, see the invisible, where we the, the faith that can see the invisible, receive the incredible no matter the cost, move the unmovable, prove the unprovable. Can, it, can we choose faith and courage or fear and capitulation? We're in the midst of giants. The culture is strong. We don't see any political change that's going to you know, change the fact that, you know, our education system is against us, our, you know, all these corrupting influences that are going on. We see, you know, churches shrinking, Christianity on the decline. We see giants. We see trends. We see things that are bigger than me, bigger than my church, but they're not bigger than my God. And it's easy to get discouraged it's easy to say, well, what can you do? It's easy to wander in that desert. 
but our God. The God that was worshipped, the God that was lifted up, that's the God that not only my friend needs, it's the God I need, it's God this world needs. And he's just asking me to be faithful. He's asking me to be true. He's asking me to choose faith and not fear. And I pray that is our choice of everyone who leaves this place. Choose faith and not fear as you go out. And may you also climb that hill and receive the power of his resurrection. That we will conclude this afternoon's service. We're again deeply indebted to everyone who came to make this day so special. And we invite everyone to spend some more time in fellowship downstairs.